think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 114 of the, the Boys Short Pants, the 115th episode. I'm Laurent Carboneau. Is Now, is this a full episode? Because this is going to be a short episode. I was about so to I'm say. Not, I'm not sure how this works in the I was about system. to say. We were just treated as a normal episode, but in honor of uh, Professor Paul Wilson, this will be a short snapper. Uh, and we will do a quick episode. Okay. Yes. Uh, so that makes me Aiton Rainville. I mean, that would have been the case regardless of whether this is a short <laughs> episode or not really so uh yes uh it, it's actually this fun working with him in real life <laughs> the, uh, yeah so it's great so i guess listen um it is the heydays of summer uh is that the dog days the of dog summer, days of summer you know where that expression comes from uh i feel like i know but i can't give you that information the first right of now. constellation sirius the uh, dog yes. star I try my best to avoid everything astrology related. Star and, series, not And shun those who pursue astrology and that's in a actually serious just, That's manner. actually just astronomy. The, the, the star Sirius well, is a real star. I, yeah, I believe. Space. Okay, all right. <laughs> we know how we feel about astronauts on this show. Yes. You know, really, if it starts with astro in general, you're not getting. You're going to get a rough ride from the boys in short pants. Um. So. Uh, Parliament rose uh, about a month and a half ago. Some bills were passed. I think we talked about that. Yeah, we did. Um, it's really in campaign season, sort of summer campaign season. Yes, it's the cutting of the giant novelty checks that precedes an election. Well, there is not a formal pre-writ period um, as there was in the last election because there is not a, we're not, you know, we're presuming that we're not abiding by a fixed election date. Yes. Um, for purposes outside of third-party advertising, we're very much in the pre-writ period, mm-hmm. where I think the betting money is for the prime minister to call the election um, in the sec- second or third week of August. Yes. Well, probably of course, thereabouts. unless the governor general decides that uh, this would not be in Canada's interest. <laughs> true, true. Um, as uh, much fodder has been made in the, uh, the national papers by the NDP on this topic yes. um, and by their assorted critics. Um, so really, I think right now, everyone thinks we're looking at an election call in mid-August. Um, the minimum writ period is 36 days. That puts you in sort of mid-late September. Um, I think the one obstacle in people's minds is the Nova Scotia election. Um, so something just after the Nova Scotia election, probably pretty snug it's to that. It seems saying, very plausible. It's worth saying that during the last federal election, the Manitoba election was still going on. It, uh, you know, but of course, conservative government versus liberal government, they, they may want to play to each other's uh, advantage rather than inconvenience each other. Sure. And yeah, I mean, minor conflicts, realistically, one day, you know, day one of the writ period, so long as you're not planning to launch your campaign in uh, Nova Scotia. Launch your campaign in British Columbia or Quebec or wherever. Yeah, and, I don't think anybody was and, in and big come to them two of, uh, days later. Yes, like, I don't think anybody not... was in big danger of launching their campaigns in Nova Scotia this time around. Yeah, but a lot of the uh, you know a lot of the gossip mill is alight with stories about uh, campaign directors on the Liberal Party saying, uh, "Book your rent your office spaces candidates for two months." Um, you know, gossip about whether or not campaigns have booked their planes because I guess in a normal year it'd be hard to book a plane, but I feel like there's a lot of excess plane capacity this year. Um, 
So, you know, yeah. I think the ball is well and truly rolling, and there's a lot of momentum. And they got to wrap the planes, too. They do have to wrap the planes. Yeah. Well, at least one of the two liberal planes. One is just the baggage plane. It's the stunt plane, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. So that will be uh, that will be fun. Yeah. They so, won't actually be fun. I mean, you, you alluded to the handing out of novelty checks, but if you were to look at the ministerial press releases going out on the Canada Newsroom site... Um, As we do. You would see ministers all over the country making uh, largely re-announcements of platform items, but as long as the local newspapers are sufficiently um, but befuddled by whether or not this constitutes new or old money, they breathlessly report it. They do not have the sort of muscle to check this stuff usually, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so a lot of old announcements are new again it, as, it, as ministers are dispatched to it, the regions. It met a point here about that specific thing, is that like, it is so comically easy as a campaign to basically become a newspaper if you're in a small community in the sense that, like, they will just run anything you send them. <laughs> uh, like, I was astonished uh, when I was working on a campaign um, in, a, in a central campaign last time that it basically, like, you just you write them up and the newspapers are happy to run them just as you wrote them. It's pretty astonishing. But there you go. Yeah, that's sort of, you know, the the void in local reporting or the hollowing out of local yes. reporting in this country has led to... It's great for people like us. Uh, <laughs> the existence of local news establishments that are willing to run what approximates to a press release. Well, I mean, they literally are press releases. <laughs> like, they, I mean, word for word, like, they yeah. don't change a thing. Yes, In, in some cases. Some, yeah, no, I... Some do a little more due diligence. Sure, but. I was just astonished by how often it happened that we would just run a press release. Yeah. Unedited. Yeah, it certainly happens. Yes. Um, so, I mean, beyond securing our nation's swimmers, um, that is that is a reference to Aaron I, O'Toole's... I got it, yeah. No one else did, though, <laughs> so I will explain it. Okay. Uh, a reference to Aaron O'Toole's recent announcement in New Brunswick of, uh, you know... Pool for Fredericton. Future support of a swimming pool. Um, you know, it really gives color to the type of silly season we are uh, in announcement-wise, yes. where any anyone who can announce anything... Or, or announce a future prospective IOU. Is, yeah, and that's the thing. So. It's the difference between the giant novelty check and the giant novelty IOU. Yes. <laughs> it's a very, very big distinction when you're in opposition. Is that that's the best you can do. One just doesn't have the bank's name on it. It Indeed. just has uh, one of those fake coat of arms or something. Yes, well, it's a fringed check, so it's, <laughs> it's an admiralty check. It's not honored anywhere. Yeah, that, that's fair. Um, yeah, so that's sort of where things are at. Um, Ottawa's pretty slow, with the exception of the implosion of uh, one political party. Indeed. Um, and boy, is it ever an implosion. Uh, this, of course, is not the Bloc Québécois, but the Green Party. Indeed. Um, who... You know, there have been some news days where it's sort of like the leader comes out, makes an announcement that everything is going to be cool now. And you're sort of expecting, you know, okay, it seems like she solved I mean, the internal you know, problem. She seems to get the aircraft carrier and the mission accomplished banner out like <laughs> probably twice a week at this point. And then it turns out the uh, the insurgency just keeps going. So. Yeah. It, it, they catch a different Saddam Hussein and a different spider hole. So for anyone who didn't catch the Green Party uh, or the story about the Greens financing, either on Twitter or in the Toronto Star, um, basically there are 
not millions of dollars unaccounted for, but the Green Party has a successful fundraising apparatus that has historically raised, you know, somewhere in the range of one to two point something million dollars a year. Um, but their actual cash and account right now seems to be sitting at around three hundred thousand dollars. It's worth saying that three hundred thousand dollars on the eve of an election is a like. You, like red wizard needs food badly kind of situation like you're you're in incredibly bad shape like to give some perspective on this like a central party and and central parties like don't often actually spend up to the cap in individual writings but like they can spend give or take in the average writing like a little north of 100k yes and there's That's one writing yeah so that, <laughs> there are 300 plus of them yes it's yeah around 120 it depends on geography and the yeah, size yeah of the yes writing. exactly yeah. the average writing a bit north of 100 yeah right. um and at the at the federal election level or at the the air war level it's yes. called the central yes, that's campaign yeah. particularly for the conservatives and the liberals i think it's a little more uh a little tighter purse strings at the ndp but yeah. typically the rule of thumb that's thrown around is a million dollars a day yeah is you know, what party should expect to spend during the campaign. If you have $300,000 for 36 days, like, you just, you're not getting very far. Uh, And, and of course, like, the the flip side of this is, like, if you have, like, incredible, like, strong writing associations, really good ground games, of course that can make a difference. Though, with the state of the Green Party right now, with, like, them basically eating each other, I kind of doubt that's the case for them. So, I mean, like, I think a Green Party wipeout is like not Except impossible. Except for Elizabeth May. It, and this that's still honestly like Elizabeth May is the only I mean I'll, like yeah, they have two MPs, so like this isn't very hard. <laughs> but like they do not have I two think MPs. Elizabeth Or sorry, yes. yes they, they have two other yes. they have only they have two total MPs, not two other MPs. Yes. yes. So I think Rip. Paul Manley going to be fighting for Jenica. his life. Yeah, Jenica, of course, going to be probably winning as a liberal in Fredericton. Yes. Um and I think Elizabeth May. I don't know. Like, it would be really funny to see her lose. I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> if there was ever a time it was going to happen, it might be this one. We'll see. Yeah, and, you know, there would be a certain irony to it in terms of how she has conducted herself. Um, during, I mean, I hope she loses. I'm just going to come out and say that. It during would, it would be very this fun. sort of guerrilla war going on against the leader, um, as she has been sort of all over the place and not clearly on any... You know, not a clear pillar of support Let's say for the I, new leader. Yeah, I think I think I would not classify her as an obvious loyalist to the new leader. That even even sure. though <laughs> that was, was the case mere months ago. Yes. Um, so what the hell is going on in between the relationship of those two, I think, has yet to be determined. Um, We're re- certainly has a story that has yet to be written, I guess. Yeah. So the protagonists involved here, I think, are very clearly aware of what they think of each other. But one of, one of the other stories I wanted to, well, highlight in the Green Party that sort of preceded some of this more detailed coverage now of the party's financing was initially a story that the Green, um, uh, you know, administration or the, the Green Party um, leaders had blocked $200,000 from going to... Anime Paul's campaign in Toronto Her Center. Quixotic campaign, shall we say, um, in Toronto Center. Which, you know, $200,000 obviously over the cap, but maybe you want to spend some money um, during the pre-rip period seemed like a pretty fine thing to spend in order to try and get your, yeah, part, I mean, I think your party leader party, into Parliament. You want to elect your party leader. It's good. Yeah. But right now, you know, having $300,000 in the bank, of which... $100,000 cash was spent this month on trying to fight your yeah. leader. If you're spending a quarter of your remaining 
meager budget fighting your leader in court, like your priorities are very obviously not political. Yeah, and like zooming out from the Greens, and if we want to talk a little bit about the the election landscape broadly, like let's start there and let's say like I think we, we've established at this point that the Greens have no money, no obvious like leadership in the sense that like half their party seems to be in arms. Um, so they're like, I think it's handy to use a phrase near and dear to your heart. They are in shambles. Uh, (laughs) They're not doing well. Uh, and it's worth emphasizing that just because last election, um, they're sort of, you know, like the, the, the storyline going into week one of the campaign was, are the greens going to outperform the NDP? I don't think anyone is saying that this time around. Uh, which I think for the NDP relieves a lot of pressure for them, like on that flank. Sure. Like, um, so they are, and of course, like, you know, the, the money situation is much better than it was last time. The polling situation is much better than it was last time. Um, like the team is much more united and confident. Like, I think they are in a spot where they can certainly win some seats. I don't think anybody's expecting official opposition or government at this point, but certainly like, is a return to third party in the cards. I think like a good election, possibly. I don't think the bloc have a lot of seats that they can actually like win Grown. from the liberals at yeah. this point. Like, I think they've pretty much hit where they're going to hit. Um, of course, you know, they're going to be targeting a couple others and like Montreal is going to be kind of a battlefield. And, um, you know, the liberals are going to try and poach some of the rural seats out of them um, as well as some Montreal area ones. And I think actually like, so moving on from the NDP there, which I don't think we, we need to talk about a lot more than that. Like, the central story here with the Conservatives not really in a great position right now, of course, anything can change, uh, but just, like, at the current landscape, I think the Liberals basically are like, let's just try to murder the bloc for our majority, because there's not a lot of places for them to grow in Ontario. They, they absolutely destroyed the Conservatives there last time. In the Prairies, you're looking at, like, you know, an Edmonton or Calgary seat, maybe. Uh, with the Conservatives kind of dipping over there. And, of course, you know, a di- a dipping Conservatives in the Prairies is, like, you know, if you if you dip 40 points in Battle River Crowfoot, you don't really care. You still win by a comfortable margin. If you dip 15 in Calgary or Edmonton, that's actually a big deal. Sure. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Those could be interesting. Uh, a couple of those could be very competitive for the NDP as well. So we will see about that. Uh, but really, like, where the liberals are, like, here's where our majority is, are block seats in Quebec. And maybe a couple BCs. Yeah, I... And the block is still fairly strong and still pulling fairly well. Yes, and it's worth saying, too, like, Yves-François Blanchet's, like, biggest strength is election performance on televised debates. Like, televised debates is where he is strongest, and that's kind of what matters in Quebec elections in a big way. So, about a month or two ago, there was a lot of coverage of where Aaron O'Toole is at in um, in the polls and where the Conservative Party is at in the polls. A lot of it was, I mean, there were some pretty stunning numbers there that were around 25 to 26%, which is much lower than historically uh, the conservative lo- voting yeah, the floor, floor has been. Yeah, always been. been considered to be like 30. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it was pretty surprising. And a lot of people, you know, were pointing fingers and suggesting this was because um, Aaron O'Toole was Weak. not right wing enough. He hadn't done this. He hadn't, you know, promised to dismantle the CBC, he'd walk back this, he he wasn't appealing to, you know, ex-voter block. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ultimately that those numbers will prove to be a bit of an aberration. Yes, and it, it, we have seen a little bit of tightening in the last week or so, uh, mm-hmm. which will definitely change the liberal calculus from, like, let's just try to, like, 
knock off a dozen block seats to like we actually have to play some defense where it matters a little more yeah mike moffitt had a good thread on this um a few i guess it would have been maybe a week ago about why elections matter and about poll movement during the writ period. I mean, no one thought Jack Layton was going to become leader of the official opposition in 2011. Yeah, if you actually go on the Wikipedia... Or no one thought Justin Trudeau was going to be prime minister in 2015, for that matter. So Yeah, 2015 is a really good example because, you know, the writ was called incredibly early. And over the, August, over the month of August, when no one was really engaged, the numbers moved sort of minimally. Yeah. Um, but come September, you know, there were various notable political events during that time as well that, you know, synchronized um, well um, during the rip period. Um, but the polls really tended to move during sort of the later uh, half the rip period. Yeah, when a lot of undecided Canadians. Yeah. Like this is a reality but, people talk about in campaigns all the time is no one really pays attention to the last two weeks. So really what you're doing is, like, at the ground level, you're identifying your vote. You're saying, okay, who are the people who, in this writing, like, are actually engaged enough to know that they're voting for us? And then you look at it kind of, like, you you, you want to know those folks because you want to get to them on election day and say, like, hey, have you voted yet? And, you know, get them a ride to the polls, etc. Then you want to find your folks who are kind of on the fence and you need to see which way they're breaking, like, kind of halfway through the campaign. And then you need to identify your sort of like your people who haven't checked in and you need to go back and check in on them sort of in the last two weeks and see where they're breaking. And that, that and then you can decide like, OK, like, is this a winnable campaign for us? Is this not? And then sort of, you know, weigh strategically where you're going to go. The similar kind of calculus happens at the, the sort of war room level, uh, just in kind of a different way. Uh, and there it's like you're looking at the marks coming in from different writings and you're saying like, okay, is it worth putting money in here? Like, do we need to actually send someone here? Like what's going on? Or this is just like, you know, we thought this was a likely prospect, but they haven't, they just don't have the numbers to justify any more investment here. So we're going to pull the plug. That's sort of like the central like thrust of a campaign. If for, for people who haven't worked on one before. Yeah. And at the, at the staff level, at least, um, knowing whether or not your part, your riding has been identified by HQ as a battleground riding that they're going to dump resources in is, yeah. you know, a very important data point to know um, because, you know, it can be make or break for those on the fence. And I can remember in years previous where people have, you know, been disappointed that they felt like the central campaign was off base with what was going on in the regions because they weren't identified as a battleground. Yeah. And maybe they lost it afterwards. And then you have embittered um, party volunteers who are like, we knew it was a battleground the whole time. They wouldn't listen to us. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, some of the on the ground dynamics that can happen with whether or not you're identified as a battleground. Because, you know, what you can just, you know, everyone feels like they have a good sense of things when they're knocking on the doors. Everyone in politics ever um, likes to bring up the, this. well, this is what I'm hearing at the doors, or yeah. I haven't heard about that issue at the doors, um, and likes to bring together the collection of anecdotes that they have from their door knocking, um, you know, to constitute part of their worldview. And yeah. you know, that, that's how humans and work. I think you got to treat it as a focus group more than as like a representative sample. But at the, yeah. but at the, um, and everyone at the local writing level is using that. And, you know, people take away those anecdotes and they stick with them for a very long time. I can yeah. still remember, you know, the Marxist guy with the red star pin 
um, whose house I door knocked in one election campaign. And, you know, some of the more... No, he didn't. He just pointed to his red star pin sort of quietly. That's dope. He probably would have done the same thing, too, and then you can't <laughs> So, you know, it's reasonable. You know, but these these anecdotes stick with one for a very long time after, after door knocking those campaigns. Yes. Um, and form the base of a lot of people's analysis. But the staffers at HQ generally do not they have are just looking at numbers, the yeah. benefit of it. And so they tend to discount a lot of these anecdotes where these anecdotes are very um, important and salient to those working in the field. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, like, if you are door knocking, like, that's your engagement. So, like, that, of course, you're going to weigh that very heavily. And if you're looking at the numbers, that's your engagement. So, of course, you're going to weigh that very heavily. And the, the number of people, obviously, are the ones that end up calling the shots. So that's the way it goes. The other thing I'll say for um, folks who are going to be, you know, I, I imagine a certain amount of our listenership will be, I mean, well, putting aside the political staff who listen, um, but the politically engaged normies um, <laughs> who listen, who will be volunteering. Lovely. The other, I, I say normies endearingly, um, the, you know, truly normal people unlike us. Yes. Um, we are weird freaks. <laughs> um is that riding by riding polling that you'll often oh, see? Oh, well, there's the media no right. That, that, just use the wrong word is, entirely. There is no such thing as riding by riding polling in this country, right? Like it's in like there were some polls, projections. Like, yeah, there or, were some polls, like legit polls, actually done. I think around like, for instance, when Jagmeet Singh was running in Burnaby South in the by-election, and it turned out that they were just like this is wildly off because the ridings are too small. There's just not enough money in polling. Like it's just. It, do not take like when, when oh 338 says we're 338 yes. just fucking or whatever like whoever he's doing now it was the, the writ i guess eric, like eric grenier and, and no, no smoke to eric grenier though actually some smoke to eric grenier <laughs> i guess really it, he just fucking has a spreadsheet that he just like plugs a plus or minus this for the region into it i'm sure it's actually a little more sophisticated than that but like it's not like unbelievably sophisticated supercomputers like crunching like what people are th- it's it's basically just like it's very rudimentary based on past past election performance and like just do not put any stock in that stuff like don't don't go to your campaign manager and say like oh we're like like that it's just worthless like don't pay any fucking attention to it it's an entertainment product like i cannot emphasize enough that you should just not take any of these like predictions based on uniform swing models or regional swing models like even kind of seriously just just Go knock on doors. Like, don't don't <laughs> worry about this shit. That that's roughly what I was going. Like, you to know say. what people in, in central campaigns are doing? It's not fucking refreshing three thirty eight. All right, just don't fucking do it. Oh uh, yeah, one more piece of advice for everyone working on it: the infamous internal polls. Ah uh, yes, I really you the know internal polls are a magical device that will always show you if you're a battleground riding. A point or two behind to motivate you to work really hard. <laughs> so I don't even mean at the riding by riding level, but even at the at the federal level. What internal polls are good at, they're good at gauging public opinion on an issue that your party wants to push. Yes, they are predominantly about message and focus and not about like horse horse race numbers. But the way they get talked about is as if they are secret horse race numbers that are doing it better than all of the public pollsters. And the thing with the public and pollsters... And this is the complete wrong way yes, to approach internal polls. the public pollsters want to put out polling. the best product they can because they want to show their commercial clients that they can poll accurately. Yeah, I think a lot That's of people... That's the business model. <laughs> I think a lot of people forget that... It's an this, advertisement. Yes, that it is not like... 
they are doing it for free or they're partnering with a newspaper who's helping yeah. offset some of their costs. Um, and in turn, they're publishing their name in big letters on the front page. Um, but ultimately, how these pollsters make their money is by doing public opinion research polling for commercial clients or corporate clients. Yeah, well, that's you the know. same thing. Uh, yeah. It's the same thing. Well, yeah, not, not entirely. No, it's the same thing. Your mom and pop is maybe a, a commercial client. But I heard they incorporated corpor- again. I don't know. They're maybe they're not. Maybe they're not if, they're running it, if they're running it at a silver proprietorship or a partnership, they probably need to get their heads checked. That, yeah, it's, tax it's, advantages it's, there are not very it's good. It's certainly possible. <laughs> um, so all of that is to say, one of the other like common uh, myth or rumors on campaigns is like, oh, don't worry, internal polling has us at this percentage. And it's like... Now, public polling is as good, if not better, than yes. internal polling. And that's why for the, horse the horse aggregators numbers. are worthless. The polls are, like, as good as polls usually are, which is pretty good. But, like, at the end of the day, like, don't assume you have anything in the bag at any point and just work hard and don't annoy people. Because, uh, like, you know what the worst kind of, like, campaign volunteer is? And I say this lovingly. It's the kind of person that listens to this podcast. <laughs> uh, no, I mean... Like, I'm not even really kidding. Like, like it's... It's the, like, really politically engaged person who, like, wants to talk about policy, like, with the people in the campaign office. People in the campaign office are busy. They mostly don't care about policy that much. Like, just, just go, if you want to help out, and, like, if you actually want to help out and not just, like, be in a political environment, just, like, just do what people tell you. Like, just, just go knock on some doors, like, make some phone calls, be helpful, like, bring in some snacks if that's, like, you know, and even if you don't like doing that stuff, like, make some food for the campaign office. That's always much appreciated. Like, don't don't be weird. No, I mean, 100% correct. There's a meme I've seen that's really stuck with me that's, like, you know, someone showing up who's, like, I'm here to be your strategist. And no, it's like, not. no, we just need a, do- <laughs> yes, we just, no, we just need a door knocker. <laughs> yeah. Like, I have a BA in political science. I'm here to be your strategist. It's like, no, we, we just need a door knockers. Yeah. And, you know, door, I've, look, like, I've knocked a fuck ton of doors in my, my time in politics, and I honestly, genuinely find it to be rewarding uh, and helpful and gives you a good sense of, like, how normal people think and talk about politics, which is not how people who are very involved in politics do those things. So it's a very helpful perspective. Um, yeah, no, I just, yeah, so that that's my, my advice to anybody who wants to get involved is uh, don't try to distinguish yourself by your cleverness. Try to distinguish yourself by <laughs> your usefulness because uh, cleverness isn't all that useful Yeah, one, in this environment. 100%. And I mean, a good reminder that the people who tend to work campaigns are students and seniors, um, both within Elections Canada and at the polling booths. And within campaigns themselves. So they are very much uh, run by amateurs at the best of times. Yeah. Um, with the exception of, you know, one or two ministerial staff that are going to be booted out of Ottawa any day now um, and sent to the regions to run their various ministers and MPs campaigns. Indeed. Um, you know, mistakes happen. People don't realize what type of ID they need or all of these things. It is entirely, a, you know, elect- our democratic process is run by amateurs, not by professionals at the end of the day. Yep. With the exception of a half dozen folks at the t- tippity top of Elections Canada. But even returning officers are just, you know, random schmoes who've been through a PowerPoint. Indeed. Uh, so, yeah, that's sort of what to expect out of this election if you haven't been um, politically active before or planning to be politically active for the first time. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I think actually the main reason, I may have alluded to it in the front end, uh, the main reason we wanted to throw together this podcast today, a, a shortcuts episode, if you will. Um, we have brand, we can't use that. <laughs> 
I, I'm just using that in the uh, you know the very colloquial sense. Um, is to announce our book for the August, summer book of the month. Yeah, which our I guess book, will summer be completely book club. destroyed by a federal election that's about to happen. But, uh, it, it doesn't matter. So, uh, federal elections are a good time to read. I read uh, well, I guess two elections ago, The Longer on Prime Minister by Paul Wells. I don't have. I usually have not had time to read historically during federal elections, but. When you're living you know, in a, a different place, you know, when you're not living with your partner or you've been sent out to the regions and you have nothing to do at night, then yeah. Yeah, that's true, I guess. You got you got some alone time. Yeah. Um, I think I brought my Switch with me last time when I went to Sasquatch. Well, that's, that's what yeah. I did also you. read because I also brought my Kindle, but yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, the book is going to be, I, I was letting you do it, but it's going to be The Way It Works. By uh, Eddie Goldenberg. Is, is it The Way It Works Inside Ottawa? Is that part yeah, of the, the, the subtitle? Yeah, the subtitle is Inside yeah. Ottawa. But The Way It Works by Eddie Goldenberg, uh, who was uh, Jean Cartier's Jerry Butts, if you will. Yeah, I think we talked about it in the last episode. Um, the reason why we picked it, I think it... It's a quick read. It's it, breezy. It's well-written. It's, it's fun. fairly commercially available, at least, last also I checked. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's not a $80 academic text on Canadian politics, of which, which we will tuned. be reviewing some of those. Yeah. Um, but those are perhaps not the best picks for uh, a summer reading book club. No. And it, it does give a really good high-level, um, you know, short pants view of Ottawa, albeit at, at the highest levels of short pants. At the pan- highest levels short of pantsing. Short, the, the very shortest of pants, and also <laughs> how it was in the 90s. Like, yeah. candidly, right? It's like, well, you know, also early 2000s, I guess. But, like, it's a point in time. It's, you know, not all of this stuff is timeless wisdom, but uh, I think it's interesting for, for all that. So that's the book. We're going to read it this month, and then we'll talk about it, I guess, at the end of the month. And uh, I guess also a good time to say, in past, we have not uh, covered federal elections extensively, um, mostly because I was working on them, so it was uh, not really feasible. Uh, this time, that is not the case, so we will be doing more, I guess. Yeah, I'd also like to take the summer to do some, you know, stay out of the horse race a little bit and do, you know, I think it'll be interesting to cover the platforms when they come out, Yes, but also just do some of the... Um, episodes that have been on our back burner, maybe with uh, another guest or two. Yes, maybe something on international relations. We have a couple people who to whom we owe calls. So uh, yes, uh, so, yeah, just you know some of the more intra or you know out there things that haven't really fit during the parliamentary uh, calendar. Yeah, um, and we'll give you folks a break from what the rest of the media environment will be doing. There yeah, oh, the time. polls are up two points for yeah. one party and down two points for another. That's yeah, terrible. Dive into what this means. Okay, it's going to mean they might win another couple of seats at the margin, and the other party might lose a couple. Of yeah, if, there if, you go. We, we, we saved you a lot of time. <laughs> if there's one type of political reporting I hate, it's sort of pundit panels during the rip period yeah, where they talk brainless. about poll. Well, the know. worst part is that these are usually like pretty intelligent people that they have come on and do the most brainless content imaginable. So yeah. I feel bad for them. That's what it takes to grow the brand. Yeah. Uh, well, with that, we will uh, sign off on this uh, short snapper. Our shortest episode ever. Uh, I, I think we've said that a couple times. and Yeah, it's probably it. Anyway, uh, thanks everyone. Enjoy your August did, long did weekend. You, did you want to do a, a review of the beer that you're presently drinking? Ah, yes, actually. A very uh, very rare beer uh, called... Uh, it's an import, actually. An international Ooh. beer. Uh, it's called Corona Extra. 
Um, it's, a, it's a lager from Mexico. Uh, I put a piece of lime into it. Some, some of the more like out there sort of like craft beer forums recommended that as a, as a yeah. sort of a, as a thing you can add to it. But yeah, what, no, pretty good. What, 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 what did you drink? What are the hops in it? Uh, I don't know. Probably the cheapest ones available. <laughs> I also had a uh, uh, another beer from Mexico called also a Corona Extra. Oh, I don't speak Spanish. Can you tell me what that means? I, I know the first two words of their slogan. It's, I don't know means, the last two. It means the best beer. La cerveza más fina. Yes, the finest beer, I guess. The finest beer. Okay. You know, here, here. There you go. Uh, and with that, enjoy your August long weekends.